Hey, everybody, this is Sean Kelly McKeever. I'm the writer of Spider-Man comics you've probably never read, like Spider-Man Family, Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, Marvel Adventures Spider-Man, and Spider-Girl, and you are listening to Amazing Spider-Talk. Two men who know the angles, uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle Welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavostin, and I'm the editor at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Chinacchio, editor and founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and an editor at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us for this special episode of Amazing Spider Talk. It's uh, an Amazing Spider Talk and Friends episode. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors and a creator as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yes, Dan. And for this episode, we will be welcoming on uh, Spider-Man writer Sean Kelly McKeever, who uh, scripted such books as uh, the Young Adult Mary Jane series, Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, uh, Marvel Adventure Spider-Man. He even did a fill-in issue for Spider-Girl, um, you know, replacing the legendary Tom DeFalco for an issue. Uh, lots of young adult stuff, but um, it's also worth noting, and we talk about this in the interview, that uh, the Spider-Man homecoming uh movie that's coming out this summer uh the the director john watts has kind of referenced spider-man loves mary jane as a source of influence so uh we'll we'll get a sense from sean about his process and uh you know how he gears comics towards younger audiences and maybe from that we can get a sense uh, and predict a little bit about what might show up on the big screen in july I'm really excited about it because, as we've said previously on the show, it's kind of a recent discovery for you and I, uh, having just kind of filling in our our Spider-Man gaps, and we both kind of loved this story. So that, it's a kind of a nice thing to discover as you dig through the Spider-Man archives. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, 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 I got to be honest, and I even admitted this in the interview, um, that I... I really this this was not on my radar because I was like ah young adult Spider Man what you know what what am I gonna find out of that and you know enjoy out of that not that all Spider Man isn't technically geared towards younger audiences certainly early Spider Man um, and you can even say the current Spider Man there's a maturity that might be better for younger audiences <laughs> <laughs> crazy you know- town but. Crazy town banana pants. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, Dan Slott in an interview just the other day said that he's 25 to 35 years old with a mind of a 15-year-old. So there you go. 
There you go. Well, anyway, but you know, I did I did check out the series after reading the the John Watts interview that referenced it, uh, and I, I was blown away by it. I was like, wow, this is this is right up our alley, Dan. These are very character centric stories. They're very entertaining. They're very quick moving. I mean, the arcs. There's one long arc that kind of goes throughout, but the stories themselves kind of get wrapped up in an issue or two. It's like, yeah, this is this is what comics should be. I love it. Um, but you know, enough about what we think about it. Why don't we let Sean Kelly McKeever bring us into it? Well, now let's meet one of our amazing spider friends, the kind of guy no other friends would recommend. Find out about the things they created. You'll love them so much that you wish you dated. But you're just friends. They're an amazing friend. A friend. A friend. A friend. They're an amazing friend. All right. Well, I am here with Sean Kelly McKeever, the uh, writer of such uh, Spider-Man titles as Mary Jane and the Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane series uh, from the, I guess, the late aughts or mid to late aughts. Um, we're very excited to have Sean here. And, um, you know, Sean, just before we kind of get into the specific Spidey stuff, um, I'd love to hear, you know, we, we always ask our guests on here just to kind of give us their origin stories a little bit in terms of their early history with comics. I mean, what were some of the the first comic books that we, you were reading, superhero books, Spider-Man books, whatever they may be, and, and, and how did that, that kind of lead to you wanting to pursue a career in this medium? Oh, man. Um, well, with me, my my really my origin with comics is my origin with Spider-Man. They're one and the same. Uh, I grew up in the 70s. And, uh, you know, from an early age, like, you know, uh, two or three years old, um, I had an interest in, in some Spider-Man comics at the pharmacy. And, uh, so my folks started picking those up for me and it was, um, amazing Spider-Mans and Spidey super stories, uh, issues, you know, back in 75. And, you, uh, what's that? I was say, did you get to experience the Thanos copter in real time or? Oh yeah, I, I, for real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I owned that. Yeah. I had, I had a lot of those. In fact, I just picked up, um, um, Spidey super stories 18, which was the uh, bicentennial issue with captain America in it. Okay. Um, and it was fun to flip through those old, like the Spidey super stories writing style is just so hilarious. And yeah, like things like the Thanos copter and, and, uh, and like the um, the Doctor Doom Moon Dragon Star Wars spoof that they did uh, <laughs> with Quasar in it, I think at the time he was Marvel Boy though. Right. Uh, and you know, I yeah, I love that stuff. But that but the Amazing Spider-Man title I started with issue 149, which was the end of the first Clone Saga, and those issues were hard for me to you know. Well, my parents were reading all of it to me. I mean, I was three, uh, <laughs> but I got to the point where like I wanted to know what the words were. And so I would ask them what stuff was, and I, I learned to read from an early age, uh, reading those Spider-Man comics. And I didn't really venture too far outside of Spider-Man. I mean, I'd get Marvel team-ups, but I wouldn't go pick up, like, X-Men because they, you know, appeared in a cameo with that issue with the Hulk or something like that. Um, I pretty much just stuck with Spider-Man. I'd get the occasional, um, you know, Archies or, or uh, Gold Key comics at the time, a uh, couple DC here and there, but I wasn't... I, you know, I liked Superman and Batman conceptually, um, but I I just never got into the comics the way I did with Spider-Man. I mean, there was just something about Peter Parker. Um, I really uh, grew a deep connection with him, and, and, and it stayed with me, you know, pretty much all of my life. <laughs> um, I've actually got some great 
pictures from 1977 at the Wisconsin State Fair of me um, dressed up in my Spider-Man Halloween costume <laughs> for the whole day to go meet Spider-Man at the State Fair. Uh, and and there were two other appearances that year, like Spider-Man appearances, you know, some guy dressed up as Spidey in that official costume at a couple malls. And, like, I have pictures of those, too. Like, I went stalking Spider-Man in, in Milwaukee in 1977. <laughs> Did you watch, like, the Electric Company Spider-Man stuff and all that, too, from that? Because I was around that time, too, right? Yeah, yeah. I was always, at the same time, like, super excited for the Spidey section and always super disappointed because it, he spoke in word balloons. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I get the educational purpose of it, but I'm like, I wanted Spidey to talk. But that, I mean, that was less disappointing than the Spider-Man, uh, uh, you know, primetime TV show. So. Oh, the live action one with. Uh... Yeah, the Nicholas Hammond. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, my buddy uh, Mike Norton, who uh, we worked together on uh, Marvel Adventures Spider-Man. He's a big Spider-Man fan too. He recently rewatched that whole series. Um, and I have no idea why. <laughs> that just couldn't have been an enjoyable experience. That's okay. I, I, I voluntarily like reread the entire Clone Saga for a project on, on our blog. So you know, sometimes we just oh, wow. do things. To, sometimes we just do things to punish ourselves. Not that not that I, I'm actually a, a pseudo Clone Saga apologist, but you know, sometimes you still but to read the whole thing. It, there, there are some parts in it that are pretty dreadful even even as an apologist so <laughs> yeah that was that was kind of a, a rough patch with me and spidey um reading the comics um to to backtrack a little bit um from that um when i i was what 14 i guess 15 right around the time of craven's last hunt um mm. i uh decided um to ask my parents who owned a hardware and sporting goods store um, if I could take this um, beaten up, well, not really beaten up, but this um, was this four foot magazine rack that the grocery store next door was getting rid of because they'd gotten new displays. And I asked them if I could take that and sell comic books in the hardware store. And they said yes. And so I started selling comics at retail in a, in a hardware store. <laughs> and, uh, and I did that until I was, you know, in my mid 20s. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, they went from that four foot magazine rack into like 250 square feet of space. So oh, it wow. actually, a, you know, decent sized comic book store for a town of 1200 people that I was living in. Um, and, uh, and so when the clone saga started, it was exciting. And then when they decided to tell people, you know, that, that Ben Riley is the real Peter Parker, and that every story I read from my very first issue of Amazing Spider-Man was not the real Peter Parker. I I blew a gasket a little bit. Yeah, understandably. <laughs> you know, and uh, and a lot of my customers did too. You know, and and the sales on Spider-Man books were kind of down. And that well, and then around that time, that was the same time that um, that there was some distribution nonsense going on where um, Marvel bought their own distribution company and decided to distribute exclusively. And it caused this whole shakeup that meant that a store of my size couldn't really um, carry uh, Marvel anymore. I couldn't meet their minimums. So so I had to just stop selling them altogether at one point. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was, it was kind of a bitter time for me and Marvel at that point. Mid-90s was just... Wacky time. I mean, I was. I, I. I mean, I used to. It was actually. I used to get my my comics from a baseball card store, and I. 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 I, I mean, I think 
they didn't have issues with the distribution, but I just remember like, I think even they, they were just starting to become, because that was when the bubble was bursting and, yep. and around that era, they were just like, I don't know if we're still going to keep be carrying all these books. <laughs> it was just like, yeah. this is not really, this is not really prudent for us. And I mean, of course, like baseball cards too, were like, you know, there was a whole speculator bubble with those as well that I think right. that they were kind of, kind of buying them in the rear too. But I just, yeah, I, yeah. I just, not to, not to get, to go on too much of a tangent, but that was, you know, I knew card shop owners, you know, and, you know, that was a period where the, the sports cards were just about to, were just busting. Yeah. And so they start and comic books were becoming hot and they started carrying comics and they but they sold them like they were cards, mm. you know, for the most part. I mean, this it's a generalization. Um, I know I also knew, you know, sports dealers who were into comics. And so they knew kind of the, um, you know, uh, the specifics of, of sell of how to sell a comic hand sell a comic, that kind of thing. But but a, there was a lot of um, people just ordering stuff in the hopes that it was going to be hot and that that helped cause the comics bubble. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, that and the, and the non-sport cards at the time were really blowing up and the whole thing just collapsed altogether. And, and there was one month in, I think it was April, 1994 where, you know, something like 6,000 diamond accounts um, closed up, um, you know? Um, yeah, it was, it's a, st- that they may not be the right statistic. I, I ha- I used to have a a con- or a uh, magazine with the charts on it and but it's a staggering number it's thousands of accounts in one month just went belly up and a lot of those were these um they were not primarily comic book um retail establishments but a lot of them were <laughs> you know um and it was that was scary times for sure for the whole yeah. industry and that's about the time I was trying to break in as a yeah. writer <laughs> well, well, well. On that note, I mean, not, not, not. I mean, this. I could talk about the whole '90s and speculator stuff forever, but, but to talk right. about your career a little bit, I mean, you know, so you know, one of one of your first like major projects was the Waiting Place, right? Which uh, yeah, or, that, or, that was yeah. And and you know, I, I you know, kind of like you know, branching off of that, and also into you know some of the Spider-Man content that you would you would later write. I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of the work that you became known for was more was geared more towards younger audiences and i'm just curious you know what like how did how did that happen for you but also like as as you have worked on some of these projects i mean what what has kind of been your mindset your approach your philosophy with with these you know younger you know whether whether you want to call them like young adult books or or just you know but like these kind of offshoots of 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 you know, I don't. I don't even know if you would call the mainstream adult books, but you know what I mean. Like these, these, these YA books. Like how 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 did that happen for you, and 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 how have you like kind of consistently approached those over the years? Oh sure. Um, well, the reason I started uh, writing the Waiting Place um, was because, you know, since actually since like late in high school, I've been trying to send. Uh, you know, blind pitches to Marvel um, to try to get hired there because I wanted to write Spider-Man so desperately um, and always getting rejection letters, you know, just the form letter. Um, so I, I, you know, after a, a lot of time doing that and beating my head against the wall, I thought, well, what do I want to write about if not, you know, somebody else's characters? And that's when I came up with the idea for The Waiting Place, which was really just kind of a uh, means of therapy <laughs> uh, for me to, you know, write about 
growing up in a small town. You know, I came from Milwaukee, and and when I was eight, my parents moved me up to this town of 1,200 people, and I didn't really, I don't think I ever really adjusted quite uh, quite fully to that. Um, and uh, and so here I was in my in my mid 20s and thinking, well, I'd I'd like to write about that, you know. Um, and so so I just started writing that and developing it. Um, and, you know, I found artists to work with me through a friend on CompuServe. And I found uh, w- together we, we wrote the, and drew the first issue. And, um, and we found Slave Labor Graphics to publish it. And, you know, that got me some notice in the business, um, not necessarily immediately, but eventually, uh, particularly with the second volume when I started working with my buddy Mike Norton. And, you know, this whole time I'm still trying to get Marvel to notice me and couldn't get them to notice me. But, you know, it finally happened. A friend, Another friend of mine from CompuServe at the time, Paul Jenkins, was uh, writing uh, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, and The Incredible Hulk for Marvel and told his editors that uh, that I was interested in working there. And they, and it just so happened that, that uh, one of them was uh, interested in having me work for them because uh, he had read The Waiting Place and liked it. So when I, the funny thing is, you know, all these Spider-Man stories I had pitched over the years and whatnot, like I never went back to those when I actually got the chance to write Spider-Man because writing The Waiting Place had informed me something, you know, about myself and about what I want to write about um, that I was able to bring into my superhero stories. Um, and so, you know, I I was always kind of asked to, to write teenage characters because of the waiting place at first and then because of sentinel and inhumans you know and then because of mary jane um and i think you know i I just think that you know that there's something that i do there that's that connects with people on some level and i you know i don't know if it's an authenticity or a certain affect or 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 a combination of those things i mean i don't really go into it with a like a mindset that like okay I'm writing teenage characters and I'm writing them for this audience. What do I do? You know, I mean, I, I write comics for me <laughs> primarily. Yeah. So like all these like YA comics and stuff that I write and, you know, and even, even stuff I'm doing now, um, that I can't talk about yet. Um, all features, you know, teenage characters. Um, I'm just, um, I'm just drawn to it. You know, I think it's kind of an interesting sort of Petri dish of humanity, I think that, you know, um, a lot um, of our emotions are heightened at that time. I think that, you know, anything's possible. I think that um, I think that kids are are underestimated and, you know, underestimate themselves and sometimes overestimate themselves to a, a degree that you don't really find in adulthood. And it's it's so it's I think it's a nice microcosm from which to, to sort of explore that stuff, you know, but I, I don't really like have a specific mindset. I just, I just get into what, you know, what the world is and I, and I inhabit it basically. Right. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe you can't answer this, but I'm curious. I mean, you know, when you look at something that you're doing, whether it be waiting place or, or Mary Jane or, or, or whatever, um, Versus like what Bendis and Bagley were doing in Ultimate Spider-Man. I mean, what do you think makes makes the industry classify your stuff as young adult or YA and their stuff really isn't? They just consider it, you know, 
all ages or whatever. I mean, is it, do you, do you, you, I mean, do you like in looking this or that, I mean, what are the distinctions from, from, from your eye? I mean, I, I can't say that there's any, I mean, I would say that ultimate Spider-Man is YA, you know? Um, I mean, I, I guess if you're like asking kind of, why is it, like my stuff's been kind of ghettoized maybe a little <laughs> um, in the direct market. Um, I mean, I think, I think that, you know, you hear a lot of um, lip service to wanting all ages books, but I don't think that that, I think that's a, uh, a vocal minority, you know? Um, I mean, there's, you know, there's just no other way to to explain it when you see across the board you know, there are very few um, examples that are truly all ages books. And I would say that Ultimate Spider-Man was a little bit more PG-13, right? Um, yeah. And like, say, the Marvel Adventures uh, series or something like that. And even even Sentinel, you know, was was more like a PG-13 um, and Young and Humans for sure. But um, but I think, you know, I think there's some stuff that people glom onto and some that 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 isn't as successful. And that's just how it how it shakes out, you know, um, I don't, I don't, I don't see any distinct, um, difference outside of, you know, personal taste and preference. You know, you mentioned your, your relationship with Paul Jenkins or, you know, just three minutes ago. So, I mean, how did, how did that take you to now? Now you've done some, was the Mary Jane, um, series, the first Marvel book that you did at that point, or had you done a few other Marvel books before that? No, my uh, my first book was actually um, The Incredible Hulk. Uh, okay. So Paul was writing that, and and he was a bit behind, and asked if if I could come in and and we would co-write some stuff. And really, like, uh, so I did one issue kind of as a tryout, and I had the idea for a plot and talked it over with Paul, and he gave me some pointers and then you know after i wrote the script he he kind of came in as a second editorial voice he, you know we're, we're listed as co-writers in it um and he definitely was a collaborator in it but it was really you know it was really kind of my voice in there and uh and but i was very grateful uh for everything uh uh paul brought to it um and then after that um paul was going to leave uh the series altogether so we had his plot notes for the last few issues of the Hulk, and I took those plot notes and turned them into three issues of comics, um, you know, which is more of a more of a real co-writing kind of uh, kind of situation, um, which I enjoyed a great deal. So that was my first stuff, um, and then I had you know little piecemeal jobs here and there. I, I wrote a fill-in for Spider Girl. Um, I wrote a fill-in for Weapon X that never saw the light of day. Um, there's probably something else in there. I'm not. Oh, I did a, a short uh, story, um, uh, a short Ant-Man story that Darwin Cook drew for Marvel mm. Double Shot. And um, in 2002, um, Marvel came to me. They wanted um, me to be one of several writers to pitch on a couple ideas for a new series. And uh, and they liked uh, both of my pitches. And so that was Sentinel and Inhumans. And those came out in the spring of uh, 2003. And, and that's when I became a full-time writer. Uh, and after that, there was Mystique and uh, Marvel Adventures Fantastic or Marvel Age Fantastic Four and 
And it was around that time that uh, I was getting started on Mary Jane. Now, did you pitch Mary Jane or was that kind of brought to you? It was initially brought to me. Um, Mackenzie Cadenhead, who was an editor there, uh, had um, gotten in touch with me. I guess the the germ of, of the idea for the book was um, Alan Fine, who's one of the you know big muckety mucks at, at Marvel, wished that there was a Mary Jane comic book because of the movies, because there was a lot of interest in the character, you know, um, outside of the usual uh, comic book readership. They came to me with the idea that they wanted a Mary Jane series that's kind of just about like the teen drama part of it, you know, like hanging around the coffee bean stuff. Mm-hmm. And and then I and then I turned, you know, I, I took that and made a pitch for it. Um, and they liked what I had to do and had to say, and and uh, and we went forward from there. Now, I mean, considering that you you were such a huge Spider-Man fan when you were younger, I mean, we're, we're, was there a moment where you were like, well, yeah, I, I mean, I'm glad to be in this universe, but you know, I had something different in mind, <laughs> or, 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 or was, or did you just kind of say, no, this is it, I'm I'm in the I'm in the I'm in the universe, I can do this, yeah? <laughs> no, you know, I was I was really excited to do it. Um, I thought it was a neat opportunity to merge kind of what I did with the waiting place with the Spider-Man mythos. I think my first pitch was maybe a little Spider-Man heavier mm-hmm. and they, they pushed me away from that, which was actually really smart. Um, but the, the thing that you mentioned actually happened when uh, the same editor McKenzie asked me to write um, Marvel adventures, Spider-Man. And I said, well, gee, I'm like, if I'm going to write this stuff, like I want it to be the real Spider-Man I mean, maybe I could do it if I felt like this is like a nice warm up for writing Amazing Spider-Man. And she goes, well, if you're going to look at it as a warm up, then just don't take the job. Uh. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's actually a really good point. Like, you know, um, so I actually, you know, I, I, I brought a lot into that um, Marvel Adventures run of eight issues. Um, it was actually really hard to write those single issue stories uh, with different villain every issue and had to have a complete story and. To me, I had to give it a little something extra every issue, um, you know, some some kind of bit of heart, um, and that was hard to fit all that um, and to come up with a new story every month. Uh, but uh, but but with Mary Jane, it wasn't like that at all. With Mary Jane, it was just like, wait, I have a I have my own playground here, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I get to um, I get to pick whatever villains I want to make cameos. So you better believe we're going to see Rocket Racer and Big Wheel and, you know, all these cheesy characters from, you know, my childhood. And even the like the not so cheesy ones, you know, like um, I always kind of liked the Light Master's costume, um, you know, and he never made much of an appearance. I don't think outside of like the early 80s um, in Spectacular Spider-Man. I remember him being here and there and uh, and not seeing much beyond that. Um <laughs> Oh, so man. I so I used him for sure, you know. I'm like, yeah, these these villains got to be seen again. <laughs> I'm just like I'm thinking of that. That was it. I think it was a Bill Mantlo story with Lightmaster, right? With the uh, oh, with the the brother, the brother sister. Oh, what? Was, oh, I'm. Anyway, sorry. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm blanking on who on who wrote that. I can just picture the one cover right now. Yeah, I think there may have also been a Lightmaster and Willow the Wisp story. Oh but, man, now, now you're really. Going. <laughs> you're I don't think back. I put Willow the Wisp in in 
Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, and I, I'm a little disappointed in myself. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't put uh, uh, um, uh, Hypno Hustler in there either. I should have put no. Hypno Hustler. <laughs> um, so besides the and, and you know besides these great villains, I mean besides the obvious, the fact that I mean obviously the series, um, you know, it takes it takes the perspective as you know from, from Mary Jane's from Mary Jane's point of view, but. I mean, you know, we've we've kind of dealt with this before with with certainly with Ultimate and other series where, you know, we're we're looking at the Spider-Man universe, you know, back to basics, back in high school. I mean, for you, what what did what did that mean to you to be writing these characters at that point in their lives? I mean, what were you trying trying to accomplish? What were you trying to kind of show about these characters? I mean, what was what were some of your goals in doing that? Oh man. Um yeah, that makes me uh, think back. I mean, I, I, I'm really kind of drawing a blank, honestly. On, on, I, I don't, I don't know that I was that. You know, I don't know. I, I really just, I, I wanted to entertain people. I wanted to, um, I wanted to kind of show the relationships in a new light. You know, because they, I mean, really, if I'm being honest, the, you know, the Mary Jane of 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 my series is not really Mary Jane. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's an idea of her that started in the first issue as like, this is Mary Jane. This is why she is the way she is and stuff. Um, but I think it's kind of, it took kind of that broad idea of that. She is a, like she's exuberant on the outside because she's hurting on the inside kind of thing. Um, you know, and kind of why she's drawn to acting, um, outside of that, like she was really kind of a different character. Um, and you know, I just, I thought here's a, opportunity to do a modern take on her a modern take on peter who's you know an awkward nerdy kid but to do it in a way that isn't so over the top liz allen was you know just a completely re- complete rewrite i just needed a character who was you know 100 percent id who would just uh you know <laughs> scream scream bits to plot at mary jane <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, and kind of create some drama you know and and do things like you know the the kind of idea of Flash Thompson being a bully uh, to Peter and like in modern times, like without getting obviously being all all ages without getting too uh, uh, serious with it, you know, like how does that play out? And I was just interested in in doing these little remixes, you know, I mean, I I don't think I thought too heavily about like, this is the statement I want to make about Spider-Man and his world. Um, I, I just wanted to make something that felt like authentically heartfelt Mm. um, and fun and and hopefully moving um and and that kept people coming you know um issue after issue well you know and i mean you've used this word a couple of times and i mean i have it you know in my list of questions here all over the place this you know authenticity and you know so uh, you know I was thinking it, so it's it's not because you say it's i you know you're you're not complimenting yourself per se, but i I'm curious like where, where do you think that that comes from from with you. I mean, like I, I mean, I, I read through this this series, and like I'm like these, you know. Granted, I'm I'm removed from my high school years by some time now, <laughs> but this it, it felt it like reading it kind of took me back to those times. And yeah, I mean, obviously, it's it's there's there are elements of fantasy to it, but at the end of the day, it all feels very real and authentic. And and I mean. I guess it's like you know how how do you how does the magician do it how do you do it but like but right. seriously like well, like like I mean do you do you just 
spend a lot of times at your local coffee bean in Wisconsin to get to get the, <laughs> to hear what the kids are saying or what? I mean, how did that work for you? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely don't. Um, I mean, I I couldn't tell you the first thing about what teenagers are like today or ten years ago, even. Um, you know, what I did was try to, to, um, I, you know, I just, I just tried to make it feel right. You know, I mean, I, I'm still connected pretty heavily to those feelings I had when I was a kid. I was, you know, I was a pretty emotional kid. I was an awkward kid. I was a, in some ways a popular kid. Um, you know, had a little, I was, you know, a bit of a, little bit of a jock, you know, I played, played hockey, but I was, you know. Uh, kind of none of my teammates liked me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know, I mean, I think a a lot of that I'm still kind of connected to in a, in a, in a deep way. Um, I I mean, I don't, the thing I don't try to do is go, well, what, you know, what's our, what are all the kids saying now? Like, what's the, what's the hot phrase to use? You know? Um, I mean, I, I think that that's the quickest way to date your work. And, you know, in five years, people are going to go, what the hell is this? Um, whereas, you know, I, um, I would rather just go for uh, emotional authenticity. You know, I think the characters need to come from a real place. They need to feel real. And, you know, I, I, um, I actually went to college for theater. Um, I, was, I did a lot of acting in high school. Um, and I think what really drew me to that is the same thing that draws me to writing uh, characters. And that's that you, you know, I, I have a, a way that I like to try to inhabit those characters um, and, and make them real. Um, and, you know, and I hope that that comes through in the, in the finished work, you know, I mean, that's, that's basically the job as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, I'm not a, a hugely like plot focused guy. I'm, I'm more of an emotion focused guy and, and more of a character arc focused guy when it comes to writing. And, and that's what I, you know, that's what I try to bring and not necessarily the details of, 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 you know, the modern uh, teenage experience, which in some ways that probably backfires on me, you know, Um, uh, because there are things I don't understand about it, but that's, but that's also why, you know, I kind of try to keep it broad in some ways. I mean, you even had like a lot of, I don't know if you would, even if they're even love triangles, I think they're probably like quadrangles or, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, but, but like, I would, you know, like in reading them, I, I was, you know, you know, with obviously the power of hindsight, I mean, I'm looking, I'm like, you know, they can never kind of devolved into um, like overly soppy melodrama or anything like that. It's, it still felt very kind of like, this is what teenagers go through. And I'm just kind of curious um, when you, when you knew that you were kind of, going over that terrain in these stories. I mean, that's, that's obviously something that could kind of devolve very quickly and, and become a bit of a, you know, a, a, a mess for a writer. So, you know, tame, tame those, you know, the love elements from getting out of hand and ridiculous. Man. Yeah. That's, that's another thing that I, I don't quite, don't quite recall detail, yeah. but I'm sure that I'm sure that some of it was my editor McKenzie. And then later my, my second editor, Nate, um, you know, I think that it's always important to have an editorial presence, like even in, you know, I'm, I'm doing a, um, a creator owned book right now, um, where, you know, we don't even have a publisher yet. Um, we just want to make this book 
and I, you know, I made sure to get um, get a, a consulting editor for it um, because I need somebody to tell me, you know, if I'm going too far, or if I'm, you know, out of my mind, or if this makes logical sense, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I, I think that 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 Mackenzie and Nate were part of that. Um, I, but I also think, I mean, I just never. I just never really want to delve too far into melodrama. I I slip into it sometimes um, in my work. It, it with that earnest sort of melodrama, um, it gets a little too, you know, saccharine, sweet, um, mm. gross. <laughs> like I like I know people love some of that stuff. Um, like you know, like the TV show Parenthood and that. Like I, but I that level of earnestness, like I just can't, I I just can't work with that. Um, and when when I do it in my work. It really bugs me, and I know I have done it. Um, so, I mean, I just try to be conscious of of not letting things – because I think, I think once you get to a certain point, it can drag everything down. You know, it's that balancing act the same as any other kind of plot element. You know, you can't – you have to be careful of of where you're, where you're going to take that, you know, um, so that you don't write yourself into a corner. Um, and with, with – you know, with the with the Spidey and Peter and MJ plan, I mean, it was always kind of. I knew what where the ending was, you know, uh, for that, you know, and and so I think that made it a little easier for me to navigate. Now, um, you kind of alluded to this earlier in terms of dealing with this in in the first arc that you worked on, but you know, kind of going forward, um, you know, how did you kind of fight the temptation, if you will, to to not transform this book or these books into Spider-Man books. I mean, you know, how did how did, you know, how did you kind of address the challenge of keeping him, if not a secondary character, maybe even a tertiary character in a lot of in a lot of respects? That I mean, that was definitely Mackenzie at first, you know. Um yeah, she she pushed me away. Like I, I think my first version of the pitch had um in like the second arc like it really started delving into, um, you know, the Osborns and Green Goblin stuff and became a little more, you know, um, uh, intertwined with the, with Spider-Man's world. Um, mm. and, and she pushed me away from that. And, and ever since then, I, I was kind of cognizant of that. I think the most uh, we ever got into that was the looter arc where, you know, the looter was, um, uh, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who might still <laughs> check out the series on comicsology, but the looter, you know, was like, you know, character in, in Mary Jane's life. Um, and so that was the closest we ever came to making it more about the superhero stuff. And I, and I guess too, when Spider-Man starts dating uh firestar towards the end, uh, that does that as well, but really is not very superhero. the stuff that they do, <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, it's like hanging around and, and stealing kisses kind of stuff. Um, um, but that was, that was a lot of fun. I, I think at that point, I think I needed that element um, to keep me interested in the book. Um, uh, because I think I was, I just felt like beyond, you know, um, by the time I got to issue 15, I was just kind of, um, there were, there was a little bit of that, like 11 through 13 that kind of dragged for me. And I think I needed something to, to change it up, to get me, to get me excited about it again. Did you ever just sit there and say, Oh man, I just have this great Jonah story and I can't do it here. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I mean, 
I guess what, what I, I don't know if his face is ever shown in there, but we mentioned him. But right. no, I mean, I just um, I really did want to just, you know, stay with with that stuff. And, and any any of the other characters like like Jameson or, or whoever, you know, I mean, if I ever got the chance to write, you know, one of the Marvel Universe Spider-Man books, I would do that. I can't even remember. Yeah, J- we got to do some fun stuff with Jameson actually in Marvel Adventures Spider-Man. Uh, my last issue, number 12, uh, Spider-Man fights Nightmare uh, in his dreams. And um, Jameson is a superhero in it. <laughs> <laughs> and he has like this this big bling J and a cape. But he's still wearing his, like, his tie and suspenders and you know, like, looking like Larry King. And, and uh, he punches out Spider-Man, you know, and uh, and that was that was fun. But uh, but I, I I've never had a huge hankering uh, to write Jameson. I I I love that character, but I, I think he's one of those people like I want other people to write him so I can enjoy it more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this pressure, right? You know, <laughs> it's like can you can can you do a good Jameson story? Definitely. Oh, especially since uh, J.K. Simmons played him you know i mean i mean on the one hand like it makes it easier to hear him in your head yes but on the other hand it's like you can't top what he did with that character he was just pitch perfect yeah i mean i don't even know if they've um i I, when i've looked at the imdb page if they have a jameson in homecoming i hope they I, i mean it's like i felt that the lack of the character in the in the two mark web movies was you know kind of a sad thing. So I mean, it'd be yeah, great. I think I, I think that they they had a tone problem in general, and I think that Jameson could have could have been good for that. Yeah, but but again, Simmons, J.K. Simmons just kind of looms over everything now. He it's really like, does. Um, well, now he gets to be Commissioner Gordon. So you know, <laughs> if, if if that's happening, I don't even know what's going on with those Batman movies now. But um, I didn't hear that rumor. Oh wow. Oh yeah, I, th- I thought I thought that that was kind of confirmed that they that oh, they okay. had cast him as 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 Gordon, but now I know like Affleck's off as director. I don't. know. It's a <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a whole other show. It's a drama, yeah. <laughs> um. So I mean, you you kind of um you you were talking about kind of hitting hitting lulls here and there. I mean, were you always were you kind of surprised that this the, the this universe kind of lasted because it was what it was the two minis before the ongoing. Um, right. and then, yeah. And so, so, I mean, did, were, were you, I mean, when you did this, I mean, I mean, of course everyone always wants their, their book to do, to do well and to last and, you know, to be a legacy book. But I'm just curious, I mean, were you, after you did the first two minis and then it became an ongoing, was that kind of a surprise to you or, or, I mean, were you like, no, 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 we got a good thing here. We can, we can, we can keep pushing this. No, I, I was um, it was a big surprise, actually, because um, that first miniseries wasn't supposed to be a miniseries. <laughs> <laughs> that first series was supposed to be it, you know. Okay. Um, the ongoing, and uh, and it, and you know, it was cut down to five issues, and then it was cut down to four issues. Um, so um, so you know, then they when they asked me to do a second uh, four issue miniseries, I was very happy to do that, and that was almost immediately after they they told me it was only four issues. Um, and what they found was that the digests were doing, uh, gangbusters, you know? Mm. And, and so then they decided to do an ongoing, but the thing with the ongoing was they didn't want it to be called Mary Jane. They wanted it to start with Spider-Man's name, uh, because 
alphabetically it puts it with the other Spider-Man books. Uh-huh. And, it, and if and if you if you're reading titles of things, and Spider-Man is the first thing you see, it's going to draw your eye to the rest right. of it, right? Um, so they were they were brainstorming like all these ideas, like Spider-Man and Mary Jane, Spider-Man's girlfriend Mary Jane. Um, Spider-Man presents Mary Jane. And I, you know, I jokingly said, well, how about Spider-Man loves Mary Jane? And Mackenzie said, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what the title became. And then we were an ongoing. And by then I was super surprised that, you know, that, that we still kept going because we never sold well in the direct market. Um, but apparently those book sales, you know, were doing, uh, pretty well. And, and they were also selling to, um, you know, um, I know they were selling like to Target stores, like a special edition of it, and they sold. I think they sold special editions to like libraries and to Scholastic and stuff. So, um, so they had a lot of um, outlets to to make money with that series, um, but they just weren't the direct market where it was selling. Like you know, according to to uh, estimates, like something like six thousand copies or whatever, uh, which isn't enough to to sell a Marvel title, obviously, um, but. You know, when I got to the end of it, I felt like I'd gotten to say a lot. I didn't get to say everything, but I was kind of, I don't know, I was kind of in a weird place, I guess. Um, but I was just feeling kind of burnt out on the book. Um, and um, and Takeshi left the book with issue 15 and that. Uh, we got, You know, we had David Hahn come in, and David Hahn's fantastic, and I loved working with him. But, I, but Takeshi leaving, I mean, Takeshi, Christina, and I as a team – um, that's still my favorite collaboration, um, of all time in my career. And, um, so it took a little wind out of my sails, I think. Um, and then, like I said, you know, I was, I was kind of burning out on, on it before that anyway. Um, and kind of not confident in what I was doing for a couple issues there, um, uh, running out of kind of ideas. Um, and so I thought, well, you know, I'll make this last this last arc of five it for me and then they can do what they want with it. You know, hopefully they'll keep it going with David and some other writer, you know? Um, and that was, that was it for me. Um, in terms of your collaboration with, um, Takeshi Maizawa, is it Maizawa? Miyazawa? Miyazawa. Yep. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always kind of curious, especially when talking with creators from like the last decade or so because you know you you talk to these guys from like the 70s and 80s and they they definitely work a very kind of true quote-unquote marvel style um did 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 you work that way or i mean did you kind of do full script and then you know got some pages back from takeshi i mean how did how did that work in terms yeah that was definitely it was full script um and when i'd get the artwork back is when i would do a another pass on dialogue and then after the lettering came in, do another, you know, tiny pass on dialogue um, is basically how we worked. Um, but I just think that, you know, like when I write a script, it's a communication to the to the writer or to the artist. And I, I try to be I try to keep that in mind and not have it be too um, either too vague or too much like stereo instructions, you know. Right. I try to make it like a conversation um, and hopefully that's what. Takeshi glommed on to. But, you know, there was just such a we, we were just such, so much on the same page. You know, I mean, there were often times where um, I'd get a page back and like especially the last panel of the page, you know, I would look at it 
And I would say, okay, that doesn't need any of the dialogue I have in that panel, you know, and I'd just get rid of it. And it was better for it because Takeshi got what I was trying to say, you know, and, and to have the character say it would have been, uh, it just would have been redundant, you know, and it would have been clumsy. Um, and so I loved working with him for that. And then Christina just brought such an amazing energy to everything she did and, and all these details on the clothing, um, and it just always was just such a joy to get pages in. Now, now just to kind of fast forward a bit, um, you know, there were some interviews, I think, last summer okay, with um, the director of Spider-Man Homecoming, John Watts, where, you know, the the interviewer was asking him, you know, some of his resources for the movie. And, you know, and he mentioned, you know, he said, well, Ultimate Spider-Man is kind of like the obvious one, but, you know, one that you may not be aware of or whatever was, was <laughs> Spider-Man loves Mary Jane. And, and, you know, I'm just curious, you know, I don't know if you saw those interviews or not, but I mean, like, what is, what does that mean to you that, that this, that your, your work is being roped into what's probably going to be a, you know, a many major blockbuster film and, you know, like Marvel's big, like return to Spider-Man, you know, on the big screen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm really excited for that movie. I thought um, Tom Holland was just fantastic in Civil War. Um, that was the most, like, of the Peter Parker I would want to see on screen, like, I had ever seen. And Spider-Man. I mean, and the costume I thought was fantastic. You know, I loved everything about that. So when, yeah, I mean, I, 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 saw, the, there, I saw one interview with Watts where he said something about, like, you know, like it being like the Archie comics and he thought it was funny and stuff. And the fact that he name-checked it at all, like, like I was probably like beat red, you know, like, like grinning yeah. really hard <laughs> and blushing, you know, like it was really cool. Um, now, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much he's really looking at that or looked at that, um, you know, when it comes to, uh, um, you know, whoever, um, I don't even know who's actually writing it or has written, um, uh, the movie. Um, but I don't know how much of a real influence it is. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm honored that, that he brought it up at all. Um, I thought that was really cool. And I try, you know, I, um, I made a little bit of hay out of it on Twitter, you know, just kinda, <laughs> you know, everybody probably got sick of me crowing about it. <laughs> <laughs> well then, and then of course they do the, um, the Breakfast Club poster, which, of course, I mean, yeah, it's the Breakfast Club poster, but, you know, you, you had that. Well, I forget which issue number it was, but, you know, one of the one of the covers of your comics had that, that you know, like that homage as well. So, I mean, it just kind of was like, you know, I think like I'd read that interview and then um, saw that poster. I was like, oh, my goodness. This, like, what was it's that? Happening. It was an Entertainment Weekly cover, wasn't it? Or, yeah, or yeah. Inside Entertainment Weekly? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But I was like, it's happening. It's, it's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I can't allow myself to like think that that anything actually really is coming uh, of that comment and that coincidence. You know, I mean, I I'm just skeptical uh, um, that that they're really going to mine that series for, for the movie. But if they do, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to steal myself for the possibility if they do, because right. um, that would just be the coolest damn thing in the world. And I won't be able to watch the rest of the movie. Cause I'll be just 
freaking out. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, like, you know, a big thing about the, the marketing of the movie, I mean, they kind of, you know, Watts has even said like, oh, it's like a, it's going to be like a John Hughes movie with superheroes. And, yeah, you know, yeah. like so like when 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 you hear that and, and obviously knowing what, you know, how your book came across, I mean, like what what what, what I guess what do you what would you be looking for as someone who obviously can appreciate and capture those voices of like teenagers within the Spider-Man universe? I mean, what what do you think needs to be put forward on the big screen to kind of capture that in a way that, you know, would you know work for the movie, but also just kind of be capture that authenticity that we kind of keep talking about? Right. Well, I mean, just from the little bits that I've seen. And it's only those couple little bits, right, of of the high school interaction in the trailer. I mean, I think they're doing it. I think it it feels right um, to me. It feels, you know, like Peter's like, you know, he's not a loner, but he's, you know, he's he's a one of a duo of loners. You know, like yeah. I like that. I think that that's more realistic than the usual sort of, you know, uh, a loner thing. Uh, you you know, it's usually you're either the most popular or the least popular person. And I always thought that was kind of silly. You know, I like that that sort of middle ground. Um, I think, you know, um, I think uh, that kind of modern day John Hughes vibe or like um, uh, Edge of Seventeen, I would say, is like the modern day John Hughes kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I I feel that in that little bit of trailer. And I, I hope they, you know, they do a fair amount of that. I hope it's not just dressing for two big set pieces. You know, I hope that it's got a through line that's um, that's emotional, and that everything that happens uh, in the one world affects the other. You know, and that and that they're not two separate characters, and that and that it's not just about you know, um, it's not just about the things that that a lot of tentpole movies are about which is, which is spectacle, you know, and spectacle is great, but you know, let it matter. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I mean, when I heard, Oh, you know, we want this, you know, we want this movie to be back in high school and stuff. It's like, you know, it, it always kind of like, not that it gives me pause, but you know, like you, I, you hear that a lot with Spider-Man it's like, Oh, you know, it's, it's, it's best. It's best when it's like, like, like the Dick O'Lee days. And then you kind of look back at Dick O'Lee and like, the character is, you know, yes, he's a teenager, but, you know, there, you know, because of Dicko being Dicko, there was some very kind of, you know, very creepy outside outcast type things to it. So, like, to see what we saw in those trailers, it, it, it you know, again, not, not, not to get you overly excited, but it felt <laughs> like, you know, it rang truer to, you know, certainly to to ultimate but you know bendis is ultimate but also to you know what I, you know what i saw in your series as well i mean you, again, you actually like, bring up you bring up an interesting thing there actually which is i you know there was that big talk like ever since um ultimate spider-man was announced there was that talk of like you know spider-man in high school is what's best and you know and spider-man two and three suffered because he quickly graduated high school and and um you know i think I mean, he wasn't in high school for that long in the comics. And none of my favorite Spider-Man comic books um, are from him in high school, except for, you know, I mean, there are issues of of Ultimate Spider-Man for sure. But I mean, like in terms of the, you know, the regular course of of Amazing Spider-Man, you know, it was was College Spider-Man for me that was my favorite. 
Um, you know, but but at the same time, I, I get those arguments, and I think that they're true. Um, I I found that when I was writing uh, Marvel Adventures Spider Man, and when I was writing um, um, Spider Man Loves Mary Jane, that there's something about that that teenager superhero that is that is a lot more fun. You know, um, there's just something exciting about it. And I think it's what I mentioned before. It's sort of that Petri dish of humanity. You know, anything can happen. It's, it's new, you know, uh, it's all new to him. And, and, uh, and I think that like, that's something that, that Bendis played with really well, uh, in ultimate Spider-Man. But, I, yeah. but I think, you know, I think that the fact that they're doing that in, in, in a movie, um, is really nice, but you know, the reality of a movie or a TV show, um, is that, you know, actors age, you know, and, and some, you know, and eventually don't look like a teenager anymore. Um, so there's only so much of that kind of stuff you can, you can do before you have to move on. Um, but I hope that they, you know, I hope that they do a lot of that. I would, you know, I would love to see what I'd really love to see, you know, is a Spider-Man loves Mary Jane, uh, animated TV series. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I'd love to see. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that they didn't go in that direction, you know, around, you know, like kind of following up in the late 2000s and, you know, like I think they went, what, from, well, Spectacular, I, 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 Spectacular I, I, was close. Yeah, Spectacular was close, but, you know, then they kind of got away from that again. But, you know, I guess they're, they're, they got a new series coming out, so who knows. Uh, so one of the things we always like to ask kind of as a, almost like a almost final question to um, the creators we have on is is and, and you've you've certainly alluded to this to some degree, but you know, kind of more directly, uh, what what has it meant to you personally to have worked on Spider Man? <laughs> I, I still kind of pinch myself over it, you know. Um, between uh, Mary Jane and Marvel Adventures and Spider Man Family. Um, and other various little, you know, wherever I could sneak him in, like my gravity miniseries with Mike Norton. Um, you know, I've, I've gotten to write, you know, dozens of Spider-Man comics. So, oh, there was that, uh, Megamorphs miniseries where, uh, it was based on a toy line where, where, uh, <laughs> Spider-Man and the Hulk and Ghost Rider and these other characters pilot giant transformers of themselves. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, um, I mean, you know, it's a character that gave me so much joy um, growing up and, and like, is indivisible with my childhood. Um, I, you know, I just hope that, that, you know, I was able to give that kind of joy to somebody else um, with my work. Um, I know that I gave myself a ton of joy by re- getting to write it at all, even when it was very difficult for me to write it. Um, there was something about the fact that I was writing Spider-Man that was always uh, uh, just sheer pleasure, you know, just sheer joy. Um, like, like it could be, you know, the biggest problem in the world. And I just thought, yeah, but you're writing Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, it still means a lot to me. Um, you know, I hope I'm, I'm not done with the character, but you know, time will tell. Yeah. So, um, where else can we find some of your work? I mean, what, what, what are you working on that you can talk about? What's, uh, you know, this is your chance to just kind of plug away here. 
Man, I wish I had stuff to plug. Um, um, I I left uh, comics to work in video games for a few years, and and so right now I'm just getting back into comics. But everything I'm doing is is still kind of hush hush, um, and um, the video game stuff I'm doing right now is also kind of hush hush. Um, but um, you know, there will be a couple announcements this year, uh, uh, comic book announcements. Um, um, one of them. Um, um, has been basically hinted at on Twitter by, by me and, and, you know, the, the guy I keep mentioning in this podcast, Mike Norton, um, we're doing a new series together, um, creator owned. That'll be out hopefully by the end of the year. Awesome. And where can we find you on Twitter? You're, you can find me at Sean K McKeever and you can also find me at Sean McKeever.com. Awesome. Well, well, Sean, thank you so much for coming on and talking about, these series. I'm sorry that I was like making you think back to like very small, <laughs> minor details. I'm just, you know, I'm just old. <laughs> no, 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 the best is like when we like torment like Tom DeFalco or Jerry Conway about something from like 1979 or something. Like, oh, are God, you kidding yeah. me? Yeah. <laughs> like, what, yeah. Are you, what, are you, what are you doing to us? <laughs> yeah, what, what were you thinking that month? I was thinking I got to pay my damn bills. <laughs> what, what were you having for breakfast when you created Peter's clone? <laughs> um, well, I thank you uh, for having me on. I, I, I always love talking Spider-Man. Uh, and it's great. And, and obviously your passion for the character comes through. And yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I urge people to check out, uh, you know, all, all your work on, you know, if, on Comixology or Marvel Unlimited or trade or whatever, however, however they get their hands on it. I mean, I, I, I'll admit I kind of came to it a little late in the game, but I mean, I, I blew through a lot of those, those books. I just kind of binged them like it was Breaking Bad on Netflix and I, I loved it. And, and, you know, it kind of brought a new appreciation for like those wrinkles of the character for me as well. So again, oh, it's great to hear. Thanks. Yeah. So, I mean, just thank you so much for doing this. Sure thing. Mark, it was sad for me to have to sit out that interview, but uh, I'm really glad that I got to hear it and uh, and learn more about this new book that we love and uh, his process. I mean, uh, so thanks again for Sean Kelly McKeever for coming on. Yeah, and, you know, people who are uh, locked into our Patreon page, you know, the Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club, uh, there's a little extra conversation between Sean and I uh, that kind of went on after the initial interview um, concluded, which Dan, through the magic of technology, managed to capture. So why don't you go check that out for a little bit more about some other books that he worked on? You know, now it's not a huge, not a huge uh, Easter egg here, but, uh, you know, a little more. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a whole other conversation about Marvel Adventure Spider-Man and all the other Spider-Man titles that he's worked on. And every time he's tried to hide Spider-Man and other works that he's done. So uh, if you are fans of Sean Kelly McKeever's work, there's another bit of juiciness on there for you to discover. So that's over on our Patreon page. Go and check it out. Well, Mark, uh, this is an awesome interview and a great opportunity to talk to a creator. Let's let's take this whole thing home, and I'll start it off by saying that you can find – all of our new amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts over at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. That's all 152 episodes. Mark, what is 
issue 152 of Amazing Spider-Man. Can you pull that one out of your brain? Oh, is that a shocker uh, Len, Len Wein story? I think it is. All right, I'm going to let you let you have that because uh, I think you're more certain than I am. Oh no, 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 no! I need to, I need to look this. Dan, this is this is total dead air here. I need to look this up right now. Hold on. Yes, I am right. I am totally right. It is a, it is a shocker Len Wein story with uh, Ross Andrew on pencils. Um, that's amazing. Mark, totally, you blew me away. That's really good. Oh, I totally took that out of my butt. I, I, you got to remember, when we started the show, Dan, I wasn't that guy, and now I'm that guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, you can find all of those episodes chronicling Mike, Mark's journey to become that guy. Uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And when you get there, please be sure to leave us a review on the show. Uh, we use those reviews to kind of help spread the word about the show, and we love reading them on the air. And you can also email the show at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 9RedGoblin. That's nine red goblin to solve all of your, I guess, goblin-related issues. Absolutely. And, of course, you should be sure to check out both of our Facebook pages uh, and to check out our brother podcast, The Ultimate Spin, where we talk about Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen. Dan, where can we find you on the webs? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at at SupSpiderTalk, where I talk Spider-Man and, well, that's just about it, Spider-Man stuff. And uh, a lot of self-congratulatory things, too, which, you know, it's Twitter. That's what you got to do. Mark, where can we find you on the interwebs? Well, you can find me at Chasing ASM Blog on Twitter. And, of course, you can find me on Superior Spider Talk, where I'm reviewing uh, new issues of Spider-Man, where I'm doing the Eddie Brock retrospective series there in Brock again. Uh, and, Dan, you might have noticed this past week uh, that I finally had a post up for the first time in about two years on Chasing Amazing Blog again. It's an old Mark looks back and then starts talking about random things when he thinks of a comic uh, post, uh, you know, kind of what Chasing the Amazing was in the very, very beginning. And I can just say that those will be kind of the only posts I will be doing going forward on that site. And, you know, maybe every couple of weeks we'll have a new one. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's just another place to find me. Um, and of you know, course, actually, I missed that. How did I miss that? John, John, I just called you my son's name. Dan, I... I had it all over Twitter and on Facebook. You're terrible. You're well, it's terrible. Been a, it's been a crazy week for me. Uh, more on that later. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to go read that right now. Terrible spider buddy. Yeah, I, 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 talked, <laughs> I talked about Amazing Spider-Man 201, which is a, a, Sp- a Spider-Man Punisher story. Um, is that the one with the, uh, the kind of like uh, barbershop colored background? Yes. Correct. Sweet. I'm becoming uh, that guy, too. There you go. Um, and, of course, don't forget to, to check out my book. I've been tweeting about it, and I even set up a Facebook page. That book is 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. You can pre-order it now at all major online book retailers and, of course, through the publisher's website, uh, triumphbooks.com. Dan what kind of silly thing are you going to throw at me or is this, are we going to just go and say goodbye? Mark, when you were a young teenage girl, 
Uh, your life was <laughs> re- re- often preoccupied thinking about boys. Did your uncle Ben ever give you any advice about specifically being a teenage girl? Yeah, you know, um, funny thing about that. So um, obviously, you know, when I was a teenage girl, boys, of course, was on there. And, um, you know, there was there was this one boy in particular. He was kind of shy and awkward. Um, but, you know, whatever. I, I still kind of liked him. And, you know, it just drove me crazy because um, he he was started dating this this one girl who was actually like a made up character from an animated show from the early 80s and like she wore like yellow and red and it was just really weird i'm like why why you know like can't you at least like do someone in like real mainstream marvel continuity instead of like these like made up animated shows i mean you know like like it's almost like they couldn't use human torch for some reason but they needed a fiery character so they made a female fiery character like human torch let's just call her firestar but anyway so i started venting to uncle ben about this and and he was like you know what he, he, he uncle ben had this habit dan of taking things a little too far like you know by kind of behind my back like he really he was it really got his goat so he like went over to this boy's house and you know knocks on the door and wanted to kind of say you know how, how why are you ignoring my niece uh Who's my niece right now? <laughs> and you know, lo and behold, this 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 fake character ended up being over at the at the boy's house, and um, just like re- was really put off by my uncle Ben being so forward about it. So he uh, she started to use her um, microwave waves and just started to like really fry him up. And it, it turned out this this fake character ended up being a supervillain. It was terrible. Um, but as as the microwave waves were cooking Uncle Ben's skull, he cried out, oh, why did I get involved in girl and boy stuff? And with great podcasts must also come. Amazing spider talk. How did you respond to this as a teenage girl? Yeah, whatever. I just went on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs>